0: Hello and welcome back to the Econ4U podcast series. I'm Sinjana and the aim of my podcast is to interview professionals of different industries in order to hopefully increase awareness on how we can develop our economy for the better. Give our Instagram at EFYpodcasts a follow and our Spotify for the chance to ask questions for future guest speakers. In today's episode, I'm delighted to introduce Professor William Lozonik. An economist and professor at the University of Massachusetts and author of several books. His work features studies on innovation as well as competition in the global economy. But today we will be discussing his views on stock buybacks and why they could be the potential cause of wage stagnation and inequality. So, Professor Lasnik, I was wondering for our listeners if you could just briefly explain what a stock buyback is and where it originated.
1: Okay. Uh, well, the type of, of stock buyback that I'm critical of is when uh, companies go into the open market, into the stock market, uh, and they have corporate cash, and they just tell the broker, buy back our own stock. Um, and uh, in almost all cases, when they do that, uh, the purpose is to create demand for their stock, uh, which in and of itself will... Uh, Uh, boost the stock price. Mm -hmm. Um, And um, that might have some after effects because if uh, 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 people are watching the momentum of the stock price and they see that the stock price is going up, there might then be more speculation on the price of that stock. Uh, If it's uh, known that a company is uh, constantly going in and buying back its stock, uh, its stock price will likely be higher uh, not because the company's doing anything innovative or doing anything that is actually contributing to uh, higher quality products, lower cost products, what company should be doing, but just because it's manipulating it, it's, its stock price. Uh, there are other stock buybacks which are done through tender offers where, where sometimes a company, uh, someone builds a company or they control a company and they want to get stock off the market so they can control uh, the company without being on the stock market. That might work out well or might not. But that's the, the type of stock buyback that I've become critical of and my work is known for being critical of is is uh, just use of corporate cash uh, in this way that I described to buy stock on the open, open market, manipulate the stock price.
0: So just how did this originate? Like how far back ago did this okay. start
1: so obviously, well, you know, this is largely an American phenomenon, although it does occur in in Europe. And hmm. there are, uh, um, uh, although Europe tends to focus more on dividends uh, okay. as distribution to shareholders. And I should just say that there is a dis- difference between dividends and and stock and, and, and buybacks. Okay, so first of all, shareholders typically are not people who contrary to myth, invest in a company. We call them investors. They're just people buying and sell shares. So if I have some money, I can go buy shares. I hope the stock price goes up, uh, or I might want to hold it for dividends. And uh, dividends is a legitimate way of companies that are listed on the stock market to distribute some of their cash. But uh, traditionally, the notion was you pay dividends when there's nothing else you need to to cover it through your profits. Now, there's nothing wrong with making profits, but the question is how you use the profits. Mm-hmm. And if you have to reward your workers, if you have to uh, train uh, workers, hire more people, invest in new plant and equipment, and uh, invest in R&D, invest in whatever it takes to get the next generation of pro- uh, products, and as well as sell the current generation of products. Well, um if you have profits you're in a better position to do that you could pay off debt you don't don't need to take on debt so this is what could make a solid company and when call, this is what i call an innovative enterprise when a company can do this then uh it actually you can have higher wages it can be paying more tax to the government lower prices to consumers even higher quality products uh okay but uh stock, so paying out if you have some money after that and pay it to dividends to people who want to hold the shares Okay, so we as a society can share in uh, uh, the growth of these companies uh, in, for our retirement incomes for our savings. It, it, it's always uh, the notion that if you invest in the stock market, it's a it's a risky investment. So mm-hmm. when I first learned about this, uh, when I was uh, in uh, college, uh, I was in the 60, late sixties. Uh, mm-hmm. I was told, "You don't invest in the stock market unless you're prepared to lose your money." <laughs> uh, yeah, and and by the way. Uh, uh, even what's called the blue chip stock uh, which is a word that came into use in the late 1920s in the United States is the uh, the, the blue it's a it's it's the, the best you know companies on the stock market the blue chip is the most uh, valuable chip in a gambling casino <laughs> so, yeah,
0: yeah. Uh, <laughs> okay
1: so that's your question uh, so so you so you do have a way that shareholders two ways in which shareholders if they they can get a yield if they want to hold shares If you can afford to pay dividends, then they can get a a stream of income. And if they don't like the stream of income or the company does well or they need the money that they put into the stock market, they can can sell the stock. And the reason uh, we have uh, uh, that ability to to save our money that way is because the stock market is very liquid. If the stock market wasn't liquid, we wouldn't put our money. If we couldn't just at an instant get the money out. Yeah, exactly. Um, so, So, okay, now... Uh, from that point of view, stock buybacks—you know—the way I stated is—are just manipulating the stock price because they're actually rewarding people who want to sell their stock. Mm-hmm. And more than that, unless you know exactly when the companies are doing this, these buybacks, which we don't know, uh, because of the way the Security Exchange Commission had allowed it from the from uh, from a rule in 1982, we don't know when they're actually doing it to this day, not even the. It's called the SEC knows that. Mm-hmm. Uh, then some people are going to be at an advantage in in getting that uh, gain from that manipulated stock price, and that includes the inside executives uh, who have our base stock based pay. They know it has been done, and also Wall Street bankers or hedge fund managers, or city bankers, uh, who are going to be tuned into their in the kind of the, the their their profession is buying and selling shares and timing the sale of shares. Yeah. So do we? So. Okay, so, but the, the, the fact is that in the United States, where this has become really a disease, buybacks, I mean it's trillions of dollars by large companies over, let's say, five trillion over the last decade by the S&P 500, a huge amount of money, really is on the books of the SEC, the, the regulatory authority, the supposed regulatory authority, as a manipulation. And the SEC was set up uh, in 1934-35 as part of the New Deal, uh to get rid of fraud and manipulation on the stock market. So there's a question of why it allows it. Well, so uh, for a long time in the fifties and sixties, seventies, uh, the SEC was run by lawyers. Uh or at least the, the economists didn't have much of a of a input okay. into what the SEC was doing. And it was more to say, okay, how do we get rid of manipulation fraud in the stock market? And they were trying to limit stock buybacks. Uh, they didn't necessarily, weren't going to make them illegal. They didn't know whether they had a mandate to make them illegal. But they said, let's let's control the amount. Um, there was a proposal that was never uh, adopted. Um, of course, it was something they were just discussing with industry itself, mainly, mm. Um but uh, basically, what happened in uh, 1980, Ronald Reagan got elected on a platform of deregulation, brought in Chicago School of economics, and they really captured the SEC. He brought in a, a, a chairman of the SEC, was had been a, a banker on Wall Street, and he believed in derivatives. He believed the more money' sloshing around in the financial markets, the more capital formation there is. not to just stay on that point. This is really a fundamental point that economists have to deal with. Capital formation does not happen through the stock market, by and large. It happens Mm -hmm. when companies retain their profits and reinvest. That's the foundation for capital formation. So on that, the SEC was fundamentally uh, wrong. But what they did is they, under the radar, really no one much noticed at the time, they passed a rule, it's called Rule 10b-18, which said that on any Single day, a company can do as much as twenty-five percent of their average trading trading volume over the previous four weeks. Uh, a stock buyback. So for let's say Microsoft, that'd be about seven hundred and fifty million a day, and they can do it day after day after day. And uh, we don't even know when they're doing it. My, Apple can. It's about one point four billion. Wow. uh it, You know, and so they uh, we call it a license to loot. Okay. And basically, they said you can loot these companies, and that's what's gone on since then. Uh, there's clearly been insider trading on the part of top executives, with their stock-based pay, because U.S. style stock options. as price goes up, or stock awards. Uh, they're related to financial metrics. You you get the stock price up. You put the money in the bank in your in in, in your pockets. So uh, this is this is really a way in which. Uh, you have, have just uh, distributed cash to shareholders. So in the '90s, when I started really looking at how this was playing out and this this direction of the not, you know, it wasn't just happening here or there, but becoming systemic. It, actually, in 1997, buybacks as a form of distribution to shareholders for the first time surpassed dividends. Buybacks are much more uh, volatile, so actually companies. Buy back their stock when the prices are high, not when they're low. They often say that. Buy mm,
0: more okay. are so, so,
1: so it became a problem, and I, I uh, coined uh, the, the the distinction between a company that retains its profits and reinvests in, in its people and its uh, products, uh, retain and reinvest, versus downsize and distribute Company that downsizes the labor force, push down wages, also price gouges, avoids taxes, try to get profits up by any means, and then distributes all that cash.
0: So, so do you think that policies made by the government are making firms more likely to do this so like during reagan's time the tax cuts the trump administration's tax cuts yeah. do you think yeah that yeah well, well they, yeah, well, they played into
1: this and yeah. uh and when you had uh what is called the republican tax cuts yeah. the trump tax cuts of december 2017 everybody knew that the companies would use this mainly to do buybacks, and sure enough, in 2018, they did uh, S&P 500 did over 800 billion in buybacks. They had done the previous record, being about 600 billion uh, a couple of years before, and in 2007, just before the financial crisis, everybody knew this. Except uh, if you thought that the stock market and just doing buybacks was the greatest thing ever, you said great, you know. And and the view is, and this is. It's not just Republicans, I would say a lot of even progressive uh, Democrats in the U.S. or progressive economists who don't understand how the stock market works and don't understand firms, frankly. Mm. Uh, they think that all this money whizzing around through the financial markets actually funds capital formation. <clears throat> it's wrong. First of all, there is no shortage of money, mm. capital. Uh, it's all That's part of the problem. That's where we see uh, that... Uh, if you go
0: sorry, back um, to sorry, the Sorry years, Mr. Lizonic um, I lost you could you go back two sentences the wifi store Yeah okay so so companies are uh, uh, you
1: know they're distributing all this cash yeah. and the the arguments often made oh the company go, it goes somewhere it's being reallocated in the economy to better alternative uses well economists don't have any notion because they don't have a theory of innovative enterprise <laughs> of what those better alternative uses are first of all and they're not. They're going into the hands of the richest people, mm-hmm. and so lo and behold, we have this concentration of income at the top, stagnation of wages, uh, insecure employment, even sagging productivity. Many companies that do this lose competitive advantage on global global product markets. Um, uh, if they had an advantage in the old products, they don't get an advantage in the new products. Companies like GE, IBM, a whole bunch of them, Cisco Systems, and. Uh, uh, so this is something that should be stopped. Yeah, and it's it's something that is is actually not even good for people who want to hold the shares, because those companies become more vulnerable. In fact, we wrote an article in Harvard Business Review uh, in January uh, uh, about the dangers of stock buybacks uh, and uh, companies using debt to do buybacks because uh, mm-hmm. the debt was cheap. And uh, this, however, that. That debt is not being used to invest in anything productive. It is actually you're taking on debt and giving your money away. What a stupid mm. thing to do if you really care about the company. So this this is the problem. And it's fortunately uh, some uh, since I published an article about six years ago in Harvard Business Review called "Profits Without Prosperity: Stock bypass Yeah, harder, I'm to read it. Yeah, <laughs> and, and leave most Americans worse off.
0: Yeah,
1: uh, it's gotten a lot of attention among. Uh, uh uh democrats uh, joe biden paid a lot of attention to it i, I talked to him about five years uh five years ago not recently okay. i think right now he came out yesterday i should say uh, you know, of course he's the presidential candidate for the democrats yeah. uh saying that he was going to put an end to the era of shareholder value but all okay. they talked about was taxes they, they should have said ban buybacks now i think they have a problem um, uh, the Democrats and the people advising Biden right now, uh, which I'm not, uh, is that, uh, I hope he gets elected, but uh, mm-hmm. uh, they have a problem because the stock market is soaring Yeah. in, uh, in this time when it's, uh, you know, people are suffering. I mean, the U.S. is a total mess. Uh, and uh, it's clearly a problem. I think they don't. If they were to say, "Well, Biden's going to come in and get rid of buybacks," yeah. the stock market would probably come way down, <laughs> and, and they don't want to be responsible for that. Yeah, So, okay, that sounds, so, sounds. so I think they're they're going to be careful about this. Uh, but it is a problem, and of course, the very fact that in this crisis, this—I mean, the Nasdaq hit a record high yeah. yesterday. Yes, it's crazy, and it's clear that some people are making lots of money. Uh, and lots of other people, everybody else is losing. And now it's, it's, you know, it's really extreme. And it's also, of course, known that in the, uh, uh, the COVID 19 crisis, it's, it's people, poor, poor people, people of color, people who have, uh, vulnerable jobs, who, who, who don't have good housing. Of course, a lot of the lack of good housing is because of how, how people got screwed in the last crisis, in yeah. the financial crisis of foreclosures. And a lot of people running the company, the country now are people who made money out of that like people like the treasury secretary mnuchin about his billions kicking people out of their homes you know so that's that's the problem that's what we have um and and uh i i i think it's something that needs to be dealt with if you don't deal with how companies allocate the resources and how you create stable and equitable employment opportunities you're not going to have a good economy you're not going to turn the economy around and, and And the U.S. is, of course, very far from that. And it is a question now, of course, the the pandemic has created not uh, not just a crisis, but total inability to deal with the crisis in the United States. So we've been writing from my organization, the Academic Industry Research. Now we have a big paper coming out on how shareholder value uh, undermines your ability to be prepared a nation for for a pandemic, uh, which people may be interested
0: in. Okay, yeah. Um, yeah. It's, it's easy to see why policy changes um, are going to be difficult because, um, like you mentioned with Joe Biden, it's difficult to just cancel share buybacks altogether. So do you have any other possible solutions for encouraging firms to value their corporate social responsibility and actually reinvest? Yeah. So maybe are there examples of existing firms that um, prefer reinvesting and have done well in maximising yeah. consumer Okay, well, so,
1: so first of all, uh, there are congressional proposals that have uh, uh, you know, people uh, working for senators who've read our research, and not and, uh, and as others, but well, some of us directly inspired by the research my group has done uh, yeah. to try to deal with this. So uh, there's a senator uh, from Wisconsin, Tammy Baldwin. Okay. and uh in two thousand and eighteen and then two thousand and nineteen, and it's sitting in in Congress on the book. you know it's it's legislation that nothing's happening with, but it 's called the reward work Act okay. and uh it uh would rescind this rule of uh nineteen eighty two uh because it actually was nothing that it was ever even vetted by the u s Congress it was just a rule of five commissioners of the s e c and actually, one of the commissioners uh, was against it, but he went along with majority. And he, interestingly enough, was a Republican who was a Nixon appointee—the oh, okay. <laughs> the guy who was against it. So, so, but it was totally under the radar. It's not even in the history of the of the SEC that this 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 rule was there, and and most people weren't aware of it until our research started. You know, there was a few academics talking about it, but uh, start critically started started talking about it. Critically, so so there is that. There's uh, Elizabeth Warren's Accountable Capitalism Act, which mm-hmm. which uh, she first put forward in August of uh, 2018, and I had some input into into the, some of the language of that, and uh, that uh, uh, doesn't take on buybacks directly, but it it. Uh, um, it calls for a new charter a, federal, a national charter of, of, of the biggest corporations right now they're they're chartered at the state level but the important thing in both the reward work act and the accountable capitalism act is that it would put a German style kind of uh, co-determination system at least of putting work, workers on boards although it wouldn't really necessarily be a German system because having workers, it's more than just having workers on board. Uh, the system works in Germany because you have works councils and you have people who are in the unions who are highly knowledgeable about how companies run, and that could be a problem, that would be a problem if you all of a sudden just said, okay, uh, in Tammy Baldwin's uh, legislation uh, would have a third of all publicly listed companies, a third would be representing uh, employees. I'm not so sure that they would have the insight of the education, or at least, and even the uh, kind of uh, resolve to say, "Get rid of buybacks." You know, I mean, it's a, it's a, and, and this is partly a problem uh, of the economics profession. Mm-hmm. And I encourage your readers to read a, a paper. You can find my, my work on the uh, a lot of it on the website of the Institute for New Economic Thinking. But I have a paper which is called. Uh, Is the most unproductive firm the foundation of the most efficient economy? I don't know if you've seen that, but and 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 the subtitle is Penroseian learning uh, confronts the uh, neoclassical fallacy. I was originally going to call it the neoclassical absurdity, but then (laughs) I was told let's be a little polite here. So, (laughs) but it's actually true. You've of course, uh, I'm sure, uh, 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 you know, or you know. Have some course uh, on introductory economics. Did you have some course uh, yeah. along those lines? Yeah. You know, supply and demand. Well, that upward-sloping supply curve that everybody takes for granted yeah. is not necessarily the way in which businesses operate. We don't mm-hmm. want upward-sloping supply curves. We mm-hmm. want economies of scale. Yeah. And, and in fact, economies of scale often come not because you invest in a lot of plant equipment, but you invest in organizations of people. Mm. And they're like fixed costs. And and they're learning how to do things that other firms can't do.
0: Yeah.
1: And then you get because you have a higher quality product, when you're successful, which is always certain, you can you can drive down those unit costs yeah. and get economy scale. Yeah. Now what I show in that paper is that the textbooks that are used in firstly around the world and have since nineteen forty eight, since Paul Samuelson came up with his economics textbook, yeah. which is the model for all the modern textbooks, he actually argued in that book. Uh, that uh, the most unproductive firm is the foundation of the most efficient economy, uh, okay, because yeah. it, you know it, it's perfect competition. Mm. There's this notion of perfect competition, which, which is just there's just so many firms that every firm individually can sell at much of the one at given price. So what? Mm. Uh, but the more for the smaller the firms are, uh, the more firms are competing, the more perfect the competition, and mm. everything else is imperfect. And why are the firms small? is because the cost curve goes up. They're unproductive when you get that U shaped cost curve. Yeah. The earlier it goes up, it's because workers, he actually has the explanation in the book that workers are crowded together and they don't, they, they can't be supervised well the more you hire and they view mm. labor as a, uh, a variable factor. Any case, that's what's being taught. Uh, he actually, I found that, uh, uh, He had various editions of this coming from 1948, and in the sixth edition, which came out in 1964, he actually cut out the explanation. I think as he was doing the revision, a a student like you might have been working with him and said, Professor Samuelson, aren't you saying the most unproductive firm is the foundation of the most efficient economy? So he just cut out the explanation. So now people, like, it doesn't matter who they are, but someone like... Stiglitz or Joe Stiglitz or Paul Krugman, when they put in mm-hmm. the textbook, they put out the same garbage about the firm. So they can't even start to understand these issues of retainer, and reinvest, downsize and distribute innovation. Uh, they're so far away from it, the mindset huh, because it's all the firm is so significant. The market's supposed to do everything, including mm-hmm. the stock market. So, so, so that it is a really a fundamental problem, not just of policy, but of the way economists. Uh, misunderstand the economy, yeah. uh, totally misunderstand the economy because they have a nonsensical theory
0: of the firm. Yeah, um, that's, sh- that's true. <laughs> because also, when I first start learning economics, the first thing we'd learn is the aim of the firm <clears throat> is to maximize profit. There is never, yeah. we never learn that the aim of the firm is to actually raise the wages of the workers, improve the quality sure. of the products, reinvest. Yeah. So, yeah, uh, and I think it's important that the actual economic syllabus that is taught, yeah. is just more widely um, interpreted.
1: No, no if, anybody, if anybody starts a firm and they want to just, back well, you better have a product that you can sell. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. so the aim of your firm has to be to produce a safe, effective, and affordable product. Yeah. And, uh, and if you can do that and you can do it better than competitors, yeah. you're then going to capture... The market, or you, you uh, and and then if you capture enough of the market, you'll spread out the costs of, of developing that new product, and, and you can get higher quality, lower cost products. And a competitor is sitting there trying to optimize and equate marginal cost, marginal revenue, maximize profit. I've been making that argument forever, um, and it, it, it's just nonsensical. And and basically, you know, within economics, if you go back to Schumpeter about. Yeah. Innovation being the fundamental phenomenon of the economy, and it's not a matter of uh, adjusting to disequilibrium, it's about creating disequilibrium, it's about, in fact, doing something that no other firms are doing, yeah. and that is how you raise standards of living. Now, he didn't get into sharing the stuff, you know, the wages with workers, and you have to bring other people into that, but it, but it's it's fundamental difference in the approach to economics, whether you understand an innovative economy, the innovative firm, or what I call the optimizing firm, mm-hmm. and, and particularly the optimizing firm where it's then related to this stupid notion of perfect competition. And, and the problem is that the notion is stupid, but then people just, everything, all the language is called imperfect competition or market failure, market, dis- market you know, market mm-hmm. imperfections, and, and, and so they never really come to grips with how do you actually get a more successful economy. How do you get a rising middle class? I mean, you don't get a rising middle class because there's if there's a, if, if there's a strong demand for your labor, and all of a sudden, through supply and demand on the labor market, uh, uh, your your wages go way up. That won't last long because yeah, firms will find ways yeah. of getting around. But if your wages go up, and you and the people around you, wages go up because you're working for an innovative firm. And they're sharing the gains with you, and that's making that's giving you more experience and making you more committed to the firm. You're showing up every day. You yep. know how to interact with other people. Then that's sustainable. Mm. That's how we get a strong uh, middle class. So it's not simply a matter of the firm being socially responsible or being uh, being being uh, you know treating its workers well. That actually works as a way of. Uh, getting gain competitive advantage and we know that i you know I, I come out of i'm an economist but i've studied a lot of economic and business history mm-hmm. and it's just you can find it again and again and again i could give go on for hours about examples mm-hmm. of how firms that do this they end up paying their workers more than the firms that don't and in fact they then help drive up wages in the economy as a whole because other firms then have to come to try to hire labor and, and it's a new benchmark for wages. And mm-hmm. when firms stop doing that, the major firms, and like Amazon hiring hundreds of thousands of people at, at low wages, well everybody's going to hire. Mm-hmm. No one has there's no pressure to hire at low wages. But mm-hmm. I, I think I think the important thing is that yeah, so you know, we're talking about stock buybacks, mm-hmm. it has to be put in this larger framework.
0: Okay, if you just
1: yeah. say, oh, there's this phenomenon, well it may be good, it may not be good. Well you no, know, you have to really think of it in terms of how the whole economy operates in the centrality mm-hmm. of successful business corporations because the ones that do big buybacks are the ones that have, in fact, developed successful products in the past and then there's this pot of gold mm-hmm. and and someone comes yeah. in and they use shareholder value ideology, this is what happened in the 60s, they say, oh that's my uh, in the 80s, that's my money
0: yeah. uh, mm-hmm.
1: and they just they just robbed, the, robbed people of, of that money and this is going on, I mean uh, there's, uh, uh, the three largest corporate looters in corporate history now. Uh, Apple is at the top just <laughs> since 2013, okay. 350 billion of buybacks. Then Mobil, which can't afford to do buybacks anymore, but it, mm-hmm. uh, it did, uh, uh, well, over 200, uh, uh, I think 220 billion. This is just, uh, since, uh about the mid to 2000s then microsoft is third and uh uh so so you know and then you can go on I mean the list goes on and yeah. uh this has devastating impacts on the economy and sometimes let's say a company like apple or uh microsoft they can do large scale buybacks and they have a products that are dominating mm-hmm. uh and so i call that in between retain and reinvest and downsize and distribute Dominate and distribute. <laughs> that, <laughs> that that these are the companies that can do it, and often it can go on for a decade or two. But meanwhile, they aren't investing in the technology of the yeah. future and the society of which they're a part. In this case, the United States are not investing in the technology of the future.
0: Speaking speaking of Apple, um, do you think um, Huawei, the competitor, um, they seem to be investing more in research and development and trying to improve their products rather than just creating a load of new phones. So. Do you think yeah. in the end they will switch to herd behavior and end up um, end up resorting to share buybacks? Or do you think that well, they could overtake well, Apple in terms yeah, of... Yeah,
1: well, so, so Huawei would have to take a big step before they even could think about doing that because they're not listed on the stock market. Okay, yeah. <laughs> uh, so so they, they, they were set up, and this is a source of competitive advantage yeah. for that company, uh, founded in 1987 uh and in the early 90s they uh decided that to attract uh scientists and engineers who were mainly being employed by the the government in china uh at a time when there were some say 200 competitors trying to develop indigenous switches for the chinese telecommunication system so huawei was not a government-controlled company it was not something a national champion it was just okay. out there competing, and they decided uh, to uh, have a uh, employee ownership uh, system in a way of, of rewarding workers. Uh, it's a little complex because they changed it around 1997. It's really not clear that it's actual employee ownership. Who who is making that employees have decisions? Or the most employees get what they call now phantom stock, not actual stock of the company, but. Mm. The fact is the company is not listed on the stock market.
0: Okay, so yeah.
1: uh, it, it doesn't have, there's no temptation to uh, try to manipulate it, it, its stock price. And so it is a, it is definitely a retain and reinvest company. And uh, we actually have a paper that I have to just find some time over the next month or two to finish with a colleague of mine in Paris, Arpenter, called, is Cisco. why isn't Cisco Huawei? Because it's actually Cisco, Huawei's main uh business is is telecommunications mm. infrastructure equipment and that is actually the most sophisticated part of the whole you know uh technology of uh, of uh, uh of of telecommunications and uh and Cisco was the one company, American company that should have been able to be a leader in 5G and and, and it stopped investing in uh uh you know, service provider infrastructure uh, mm. in the early 2000s when it started doing buyback. So it's, Cisco is still it's a big company in terms of uh, its uh, market share of enterprise yeah. uh, networking equipment, but it's it's it does it's not an innovative company from that point of view, and that's because. Stop trying to be innovative uh, and huawei uh, was able to move into that space and of course now there's all kinds of politics around this yeah. uh, with huawei and being banned and said and then and yeah then huawei was able to uh also start becoming a competitor although it's the smallest part of their business in the enterprise networking equipment uh, which there's a number of companies but cisco still has some of an advantage and uh, then there is, uh, you know, of course, devices, watches. And that's something that Huawei uh, was able to move into. Of course, Samsung is, is actually the world leader in that, yeah. uh, in terms of vol- uh, vol- uh, sales volume. Uh, uh, but, but uh, and it's hard to say because of this, this uh, ban that uh, the Trump administration has put on selling components to Huawei, uh, uh, I think in the end, it will it will be to Huawei's benefit, and to uh, great okay, uh, okay. you know it, it, will, it will further drive the nail in the coffin for for U.S. firms because the interaction with China for around technology and components trade is so important, and, and they should be trying to compete rather than just trying to exclude. That's and uh, Huawei will find ways to, to, to compete with this. For one thing, it has a spin-off called High uh, Silicon, which is one of the, the, the world's greatest, uh, you know, leading uh, chip design companies. Um, so it's, it's uh, but uh, uh, yeah, China, China is, is there, uh, uh, you know, companies retaining and investing. And so companies that do that around the world, yeah, we can show we can show industry after industry the companies that retain and invest are the leaders the pharmaceutical industry and you don't often see it right away because the companies that are doing all these buybacks are ones that have been innovative in the past they're often able to, through merger and acquisition get a hold of other innovative companies but then they just milk them dry mm-hmm. and so unless you're really looking carefully at what's going on in these companies you don't see the extent to which they're kind of just uh, devouring themselves with the buybacks, which is basically what they're doing. Okay. So we we do a lot of a lot of research at, at, at the company level, and 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 sometimes you only see ten years later, twenty, even twenty years later, that the company, when it should have been making making these being investments, was just manipulating the stock price. But it had a, such an entrenched market position mm-hmm. uh, that it was able to continue to sell its products until until it couldn't, until it yeah. uh, you know went bankrupt.
0: <laughs> yeah. Okay, thank you. Because before we had this discussion, I had absolutely no idea how big of an impact share buybacks could have. Because um, I always read in the news about how executives were pri- weren't prioritising um, the distribution of the money properly. But um, I think the discussions really helped me um, understand yeah. this better. Well, let me just—I'll I'll so, leave you
1: just one example of okay, this. Yeah. I've written, and people can look at. Uh, if they search the uh, Institute for New Economic Thinking yep. on under my name, they'll see a lot of articles on this. Uh, but uh, Apple, which I said since 2013, has become the biggest repurchaser of stock. I think the main reason it's doing that is afraid of what they now call hedge fund activists uh, mm-hmm. coming and uh, uh, taking control of the company. But in the end, they're just giving away you know, $350 billion or something like that since uh, 2013, that's through last March. So uh, uh, that is, uh, uh, first of all, the most in, in history. It's been as much as $73 billion in one year, that's two okay. years ago, and uh, they could have taken that money and they could have invested in, in let's say, uh, green technology. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now, there are only seven people on the board of Apple, and one of them is Al Gore. Now, what is Al Gore known for, uh, as well as being former president of the United States, mm-hmm. is you know a big leading advocate uh, of dealing with climate change. So, in two thousand and six, he has his Oscar-winning uh, uh, um, documentary Inconvenient Truth." Well, he became an Apple board member in two thousand three. Apple was not doing buybacks; then. they were retaining and investing that the mm-hmm. Yeah, but. Since 2013, they've been doing them more than anybody. But he doesn't say anything about this. So, so why not? You know, why didn't he argue, or did he? And was he overruled? You know, let's go and take people and money. We don't need to be the same company, but we can invest in you know this billions, hundreds of billions of dollars. Okay. the uh, the biggest The third biggest investor uh, in Apple right now is well-known guy named Warren Buffett. It's actually the money of his company. Uh, Berkshire Hathaway, which which grew to be huge mm-hmm. by actually protecting the company that, that are part of it from the stock market. So he doesn't pay dividends. He has until recently done, done buybacks. Okay. And he's grown to be one of the richest people in the world. So he had to do something with Berkshire Hathaway's money because he controls that company. So he has about $36 billion uh, uh, that he bought in, uh, of Apple stock. No, he did not give a single penny to Apple in doing yeah. that. He just bought this on the market. But he, uh, as of March 31st of this year, uh, th- that stock was bought between uh, January of 2016 and September 2018. If he had sold it all, he would have made a neat $30 billion, yeah. giving absolutely nothing to Apple. So this is how the rich get richer. Okay. Now, <laughs> we, we don't know. He may have sold some, it. we won't know until the, the report comes out. Okay. Uh, but okay, uh, uh, n- there wasn't a single cent that went out. Apple. Apple had they, when they started this all these buybacks in 2013, and, and they called it their capital return program. Now mm-hmm. I wrote an article on the Inet website a couple years ago, and that how can they return capital to people who never gave them anything? Because the only time Apple had ever raised any money on the public stock market was in nineteen eighty in its IPO with ninety seven million dollars. Wow. And even Steve Jobs, who held some of the stock after that, sold it all, it all when he let, when he was pushed out in ninety five. Mm. So who are you returning money to? Yeah and interestingly enough, uh when we we're we we're just we we're reviewing this in an article we've just written, uh, they've stopped uh, using that term on their website, so I don't know if they read fire. <laughs> right. But they're still doing it. So the okay. here's the thing that uh, and to end with this is that last uh, August, Apple was one of 181 companies. The CEO of, of Apple, Tim Cook, was one of people who signed a uh, uh, a statement by the Business Roundtable. It's it's it's, it's a group of executives who kind okay. of was formed in, in the late 1970s. Uh, who had since 1997, that group had said the shareholder value was the main purpose of the company. So they came up with a new statement that said. No, uh, we value uh, workers and communities, and uh, product uh, customers, and um, and suppliers, and then and long-term shareholder value. So you think, okay, they're going to say, get rid of buybacks. They didn't exactly do that. Now the reason they came out with that statement. I'm, one reason is I think they were afraid that Elizabeth Warren might become the presidential candidate and institute her, you know, her accountable capitalism program. So they wanted to try to be it. but I, it was quite clear they weren't going to do anything, but Apple was one of the signatories. Now in the six months since they signed this, that this is what they're prioritizing. He signed it. His name is there, Tim Cook. Okay. They did $38 billion in buybacks in half a year. Wow. Okay. Now, uh, on the website of the Business Roundtable, we just looked uh, two weeks ago, we said, okay, what have they done in the crisis? You know, they're, they're supposed to be, you know, uh, well, what they've done in the crisis is they, 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 they've sent two letters to the government asking for bailouts of companies. Then they display what the companies themselves say they're doing. So most of the companies are just doing stuff they would have done. Anymore. But Apple actually sticks out a little bit okay. because it actually, uh, in early June, uh, Came up with a, a program, a hundred million dollars for a racial equality and justice initiative. They call it, and okay, they, they put it out that, Okay, so that's a, that's a lot of money.
0: Yeah, but that hundred million is one quarter of one percent of what they spent on buybacks. in just six months after signing this contact, uh, statement that yeah. that, uh, that shareholder
1: primacy was no longer the objective of Time Company. So it's totally hypocritical mm-hmm. totally hypocritical mm-hmm. um and you can find it you know and it's it, so it's not just the problem of donald trump and it's not just a problem of right wing it is this is is pervasive and okay. it's it's actually i think one of the reasons uh, not buybacks per se but uh this cozying up to you know wall street and corporate executives and being willing to allow this concentration at the top is one of the reasons why Hillary Clinton lost in 2016. I think people rightly felt that, you know, even if they didn't understand everything that was going on, that that it was the same old, same old stuff, you know. Mm -hmm. And hopefully it'll be different this time. Um, Of course, we're in a totally different situation now, because more more awareness of these issues and, uh, of course, uh, the US economy and society is right now a total disaster. Um, yeah. UK is doing a little better, but slightly. Uh,
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Thank you very much for your time. Okay. Um, Professor I think it's really crucial to understand just how much all this wealth is accumulated to the top percent and I'm sure the my listeners will have a look at um your papers that you've suggested. Yeah, so yeah, it'll be
1: great. Yeah. Thank you. Okay, well, it's great the time. talking with you and I uh, hope to talk with you in the future.
0: Yeah. Good luck. Thank okay. You. Good. Bye. So that brings us to the end of today's podcast. I hope you have enjoyed listening to our guest speaker today. Be sure to follow the Instagram at EFY Podcast and I hope you enjoyed listening to our discussion.